Sports Stance. With the first pick in the 2019 NBA Draft, the New Orleans Pelicans select... With the first pick, who do you think it is? It's Zion Williamson. Of course it's Zion Williamson. Welcome to the Sports Dance. I'm your host, Greg. Every week, same guy, here for you, as always. Just like Zion Williamson is now going to be there for everybody in New Orleans every week, at least until he gets tired of the city, doesn't like the teammates around him, wants a new change of pace, wants to go to either the East Coast or West Coast and demands his way out of the team. Sound familiar? I thought it would. So... NBA draft last night went exactly kind of how we thought it would, at least for the first three picks. After that, who really cares? Am I right? I mean, we all knew it really just came down to Zion and where he was going to go. He was the game changer. It's a very deep draft, but we're not going to get into all the picks because I'm not an NBA analyst. I don't know the strengths and weaknesses of each guy and where they're going and how it's going to help. All I know is... Zion is going to New Orleans. He's going to have a lot of help now. And by a lot, we'll see. It's yet to be determined how much help he'll actually be receiving. Then you also have Jay Morant, who's going to the Memphis Grizzlies, replacing Mike Conley, who we'll talk about that trade in just a few minutes. And then you had R.J. Barrett, who's going to be hopefully the next shining star in the Big Apple for the New York Knicks. After that, it was just mayhem. You know, there's going to be trades. All that different things happened. Number four pick with the Lakers. You know, how are things working out? Just every, every which way it could have gone, it did. You know, it's an NBA draft. It's it's exciting, but it's not. It's not like the NFL draft. The first round of the NFL draft, every pick is kind of what's going to happen next. NBA draft, you kind of have an actual sense Even with the trades, you kind of know who's going where. And the top three guys went where we thought they would. So let's just, we'll quickly touch on it. So as we said, Zion Williamson is going to be going to New Orleans. He's going to be a freak of nature. He's going to do everything he can to try to elevate that team this year. But again, how much pressure can you really put on guys who are 19 years old, coming out of college, never had to play as physical as they will against some of these other guys? Like, You can't put Zion against Joel Embiid. You just can't. Sure, Zion probably has the quickness to maybe get past him, but he will be put in his place very quickly. And there, I mean, there's no doubt he can become a star in this league one day. Is it going to happen day one? I don't think so. It might, it's going to take a little bit of time, I think. His game is good, but I think it's going to have to work itself out and how it fits him properly in the NBA. But if he gets on a breakaway dunk, buckle up because it's going to be a fun ride. It's about all you can say. Um, Rant's going to Memphis. He becomes that new star point guard there. The Memphis Grizzlies are a young team who will, in the next few years, probably become very good. They had Jackson last year, who's already, you know, had a really good rookie season. You had a Morant, who takes the place as starting point guard because you're not going to have Mario Chalmers. You're not going to have whoever else is the backup there right now take place. You're just not. You made the trade with Utah. You got rid of your 
other star player, Marcus All already left. He went to Toronto. He won a championship. Now you get rid of Mike Conley. You get Morant. We'll see how it goes. It's Memphis. And then finally, the pick we all knew was coming, but it's the Knicks. Who knows how the rest of free agency is going to fill out. But the Knicks at least got a guy they know can come in day one and bring some of that star swagger coming out of Duke. He can shoot, especially if he learns to actually get a consistent shot. R.J. Barrett could actually be very, very good in this league for a long time. So that's the NBA draft. We have a lot to cover this episode. We're going to be going through all the major trades. We're going to be going through what could potentially happen this offseason, what teams are thinking, what guys are thinking. And don't worry, really skip is back this week. And it's a good one. All right, so let's get into it. First, the day after the last episode, major news rocked the NBA world. Anthony Davis, AD the Brow, was finally, finally traded to the place we all thought he would, the Lakers. Now, I say what we all knew because the Celtics just sit on their assets. Now, if you didn't hear that correctly, they sit on their assets. That's all they do. They had all these picks, all these different chips that they could use over these past few years. They're supposed to use it to get AD. They're supposed to use it to get this guy, that guy. Draw bigger names in. What happened? Well, now the Celtics are losing Kyrie, Al Horford, and who knows what they're going to look like next year. But that is a different conversation for a different episode because we have way more important things to get to. So Anthony Davis gets traded to the Lakers. What did the Pelicans get for him? Well, actually a pretty good haul. You got to give them credit. They got Lonzo Ball. So you have a point guard to pair up with Drew Holiday. You have Brandon Ingram, who showed last year spurts of being a very good player. Hopefully his blood clots, you know, all get better. Then you have Josh Hart, who's a good second team guy to have coming off your bench. And maybe he develops into a good sixth man one day down the line. Plus, you get three first-round picks. You get the number four pick this year. You get two other picks going forward. You even have a swap option for your picks. So, you know, it's a good deal for both sides when you look at it. The Lakers get what they need now. The Pelicans get what they need for the future. They have guys that are talented now but could be the future of that franchise. You got Zion who gets to play with a bunch of young guys. So that's good. And in general, just an overall trade that works for both, especially for the Lakers, who are looking to win now, especially on the heels of the fact that the Warriors will be wounded next year. The Rockets seem to be imploding. The Thunder, well, they just kind of, you know, hang out in the middle. So there's no major threat unless Kawhi leaves Toronto and goes to the Clippers or somebody like that that can threaten the Lakers at this moment, you have two of the top 10 talents in the entire league without Kevin Durant even stepping on a court next year and Klay Thompson not even being able to step on a court at least through half the season. So this is the Lakers' time to take advantage. The Lakers don't care about the future right now. AD is their future. If they can sign him long-term, they won't care about these picks. They won't care about the guys they gave away. Anthony Davis is a 26-year-old perennial all-star who can change a team by himself. He tried in New Orleans. If he can stay healthy in Los Angeles, things are going to be fine. Especially with a LeBron James who is 
battling father time and winning. Plain and simple. He's battling father time and he is winning. He is 35 and he looks like he's still in his 20s. It's ridiculous. So if they can get some pieces around them, I don't think they need to go out and get a third max guy. I know they're trying to figure out the ways to move the roster, the trades, all these different pieces. They want to get that third max player, but they don't need it. I get that they want to try to get like a Kyrie or a Kemba or one of these guys to come. You don't need it. Go after role players. Go after bench players. The Toronto Raptors just showed you the game plan of how to win an NBA championship with just one superstar. You have two. Unless you're getting Kawhi Leonard himself to come to your team, you do not need to go out and get a third max guy. Keep what you have. Get the role players. Get a bench that can actually put points up for you. Because we saw with the Warriors, if you don't, and you have one of your stars go out, and then a second one, you're not going to win. So Lakers, go out, get the role players and the bench players that you need. This trade, though, 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 though makes perfect sense. Finally, it came together. It took David Griffin coming into power to get it done. But each side, I think, is actually a winner in this trade. Obviously, we'll see down the line. Basically, the Lakers will only view it as a win if they win a championship. The Pelicans, if they make the playoffs the next few years with these guys, that's a win for them. If they can be a 7 or 8 seed consistently, they'll take it. That is a good fan base to have. That is a young team. Get them confidence. If they hit their stride and they're on entering prime years and you keep them under contract, they could be a good team. They're going to be fun to watch, I can tell you that. The other major trade that occurred this this week, not this season, was Mike Connolly, as we mentioned before, is no longer on the Memphis Grizzlies. They traded him to Utah for Jay Crowder, Kyle Korver, uh, some other picks. I think Grayson Allen was also thrown in there. And it's a good pickup for the Jazz. I mean, that makes them another team that you have to watch out for. Because now they have Donovan Mitchell, Mike Conley, Rudy Gobert, and even Joe Ingles. Now, you can laugh at that last one if you want to, but he was really good last year. He's a good fourth guy to have on your team for scoring, rebounds, assists. Like, if you're having an off night and Ingles is on, you might still have a chance to win. So it's a good trade, at least for the Jazz. The Grizzlies, I mean, the Grizzlies are just trying to kind of figure out where to go now that they have young pieces. Jay Crowder, Kyle Korver are not guys that are going to really contribute much to them. Most likely, they'll both be bought out and shipped out. One of those, because both of them are older. I think the Grizzlies are going young, 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 and they just want to kind of build off that, which is fine. Do what you got to do to try to help your franchise turn around. Maybe Morant and Jackson could be your next Gasol and Conley. So there was that trade, and next you have all the issues with free agency and this offseason. Now, the NBA is not like any other league when it comes to the offseason. The offseason sometimes is way more entertaining than the regular season. So far, it has not disappointed. We already knew it was going to be drama-filled with Durant tearing his Achilles, Clay's ACL, both of them being free agents. What's going to happen? Well, rumors are now swirling that Kevin Durant will re-sign with the Warriors 
on the deal of I will rehab where I want to, how I want to, keep in touch with you guys, but I want essentially a de- deferred sign and trade. That's been the latest rumor. And it makes sense for Durant for the purpose of he will get $57 million more if he re-signs with the Warriors long-term. And then they can trade him. And it's a win for the Warriors if they know Durant wants to leave. He doesn't want to be in Golden State anymore if that's the case. You at least get something for him leaving. Yeah, he either just walks out the door this summer and signs somewhere else, or you sign him. You pay the big money this year, but partway through the year, you find somebody to take him, and you trade him away, and you get assets back because that's what you need right now. Because going forward, if you're not going to have Durant, and you're going to be without Clay this year, and you have Steph and Draymond, who are both great players, you're going to need help because Iguodala is getting up there in age. He's 35. He's going to be 36. Sean Livingston might be retiring. And your bench is not anything special. So you need players around you to help out if you're going to make any sort of run next year. I mean, it's it's the truth. That's just how it is. So that's the thing swirling around KD. And it makes sense. If I were him, I might just say, forget the money. Why do I want a chance trusting the Warriors to do the right thing by me, knowing full and well that I want out? And also, what can teams offer the Warriors that they're going to be like, yeah, we'll trade him? Because he's Kevin Durant. He is a top two player in the entire league. You could say he's top one. You can make the argument, but he's at least top two. And you're just going to trade him away after he signs and you have to pay at least a big somewhat chunk of money to him? For what reason? You have to pay luxury tax, I think, potentially on him. I don't know if that's at the beginning of the season or end of the season. But what are you going to get compensation-wise that you're going to be happy enough just saying, yeah, okay, we'll sign you and then trade you away once you're healthy? Because I don't see what it is. If I'm Kevin Durant, I've made a good amount of money already in my career. I have endorsements. Those endorsements can definitely make up for that money that I'm going to lose out on. I'm just going to sign where I want to. I'm going to go where I think I'm going to be happiest. Probably New York, but you just never know. But most likely New York. If not there, he's staying in Golden State. I mean, there's not many other places that you could look and say, that's where he's going to go. But yeah, Kevin, if you don't need the money, don't take the money. Go where you want to go. Trust yourself. Trust your process. You know you're getting that endorsement money. So just take it. Take it and be happy. Plus, then you get like a year off without talking to the media. That's got to be good for you. So besides the KD stuff, the other main drama going on in this league, because that's all this league is, is drama on drama on drama. So we know about Kyrie Irving apparently ghosting the Celtics. But you know who else apparently wants nothing to do with the Celtics anymore? Al Horford. Like, do you remember when they signed Horford like two years ago? It was a huge deal. They thought he was, they were going to get Durant with him. And then they don't, but it's okay. They go out and get Kyrie. And then it's like, hey, this is actually going to be maybe better for us. And it wasn't. It just wasn't. It was not good at all. But 
I guess you live and die by taking chances, or if you're Danny Ainge, you live and die by not giving up any of the assets that can help you get really good players. Because, yeah, you got Kyrie. It was it was a win at the time, but it has gone into nothing. You are now left with Gordon Hayward, who was on year two of recovering from that terrible injury. And they say it takes two years to recover from that. So if you're relying on him, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and Marcus Smart to be your lead guys, Celtics aren't going anywhere this year, people. Not at all. And Al Horford is just leaving. There was first the, I'm declining my $30 million option to stay. Then it was, we're going to work on getting a hometown discount with the Celtics on like a three-year deal. Now it's rumored that he found another team who's willing to give him $100 million for four years. Or somewhere in that range. And I'm pretty sure he's going to take it and just retire after that's done. Now there's rumors it's Dallas. Who knows who it could be? But apparently nothing that was going on in Boston was good enough for Horford to be like, you know what? I'm going to stay and stick this out no matter what. I still believe in this team. So I don't know what's going on in that locker room. I don't know what's going on with management. But it's not a great look. Because Al Horford is a very cool-headed, level-headed guy. And he seemed to like Boston. And I don't know what happened. And he just was like, I'm out. I'm, I'm not going to take the $30 million to stay in Boston. Which is nuts. Like, imagine just giving up $30 million and just looking at it and going, nah, I'm good. Mm-hmm. It's the same situation with Durant with the $57 million, But Durant still has like eight years left in this league at least. And he's going to get paid with a torn Achilles and not play for a season and get millions of dollars because of it. Whereas Horford only has a few years left. He doesn't have long because he's been around for a very long time. He's been around since 2003. So Horford's leaving, whether you like it or not. And the Celtics team that was once considered possibly the team that was going to, one, overtake LeBron when he was still with the Cavs, and then last year it looked like they had the clear path to the Eastern Conference Championship, now is kind of rebuilding. With your main guy, again, being Gordon Hayward. Which, no offense to him, he was a great player before the injury. But because of the injury, he's not where he was. And he won't be, at least for one more year. And that's not what you want to hear as a Celtics fan who had just such high hopes before the season started. But it could be worse, Celtics fans. You could be like the Houston Rockets. You know, the team that Last year made it to the conference finals and was one game away before Chris Paul got hurt. And then this year had the advantage of Kevin Durant getting hurt but couldn't take advantage. And if they did and went to the next round, probably make it to the NBA championship, maybe win against the Toronto team. But they didn't. And apparently there is a lot, a lot of animosity between their two stars. So much animosity that Skip Bayless fell for a ruse put on by Twitter. And it leads me into, really, Skip? You know what, Skip? Skip, Skip, Skip. It's Skip.
skip, skip, Bayless. Skip, Bayless. Oh, whoa, whoa, skip, 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 skip
I just find all these funny clips online and find these stories about you. I follow your tweets, and they enrage me. But this one made me chuckle, because you sat there, straight-faced, looking at Shannon Sharp, and read this out, and no point in your mind did this sound off alarms of, this is weird, this doesn't seem right. You speculate against number two's injuries he sustained last year and how he couldn't play for your Spurs. But this, you take point blank, no checking. Didn't even have somebody in the back. Just run it real quick to make sure. You just went with it. Really, Skip? Be better, Skip. You know what? You won't be Skip, so it's fine. This has been Really, Skip? All right, that does it for NBA Talk, so we're going to take a quick break. We're going to cut to an ad for Twin Spires, who is the sponsor for 12 on Sports Radio. And after that, we're going to talk a little MLB. We got plenty to talk about. Some fun stuff happened this week in the league. And then we're also going to talk about how Universal DH should actually be a thing. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Want to place a bet on horses but don't know where to go? Check out Twin Spires for all your horse betting needs. All you have to do is follow the link at 12 on Sports Radio. It'll take you right to Twin Spires or go there directly yourself. Put on promo code 12 on Sports to get a nice 100% back of what you put in. Have a little extra money to gamble with. Check it out, Twin Spires. All right, it's now time to get into some Major League Baseball. I know last week I basically ignored it. That's because it was the Stanley Cup and NBA Finals, both ending, by the way. So we need baseball. I personally love baseball, but like baseball news needs to step it up or else I'm going to be comparing like best summer movies versus best winter movies. I don't know, but summer, summer gets tough when it comes to sports podcasts. Ask any single one, ask sports radio shows. It gets a little complicated because you got to figure out what to talk about. But luckily this week, that's not a problem. Because baseball has said, you know what? Those other sports have ended. Let's kick it up a notch. Starting with a trade. Because every other league's making trades. Baseball wants to get down on it. The trade deadline is not even until July 31st. But of all teams to make a trade, the Yankees thought it was their time to make a big move for a pitch. Nope, not a pitcher. Surprisingly not a pitcher. They thought they needed another bat. At the very moment that Stanton and Aaron Judge are on their way back. I think Stanton's already back. Judge is, like, very short. And before that, they already had a dominantly good offensive lineup. With Voight, Sanchez, Didi Gregorius came back. Like, the Yankees were not struggling for a hitter. And I keep saying hitter for a specific reason. Because they didn't go out and, be, and get a guy that, you know can play the outfield, play a position, help on the field. No. They literally just got a guy that can help at the plate. Edwin Encarnacion. Now, why is the question? Why did the Yankees feel the need to go out and get a home run hitting 
DH when you already have essentially that in Stanton and Voigt and probably like one or two other guys on their team. Like they have more bats than they need. They have more bats than they can put in their lineup. Like I get this makes them the new murderer's row of the Yankees, but I guess they really just want to take the whole Bronx Bombers name literally because all this team is going to do is strike out or hit home runs. That's like that's all they're going to do once Judge comes back. Just I mean picturing a lineup that goes like Gregorius, uh, Gardner, Judge, Stanton, Encarnacion, Voit, Sanchez, like some order of that is terrifying if you're a pitcher. But if you have good stuff that day, you can be rest assured that they're going to be swinging through a lot of baseballs. Because that's what the Stanton showed last year. He's a home run or striker kind of guy. Which he didn't seem like that when he was with the Marlins. Maybe it's the New York pressure. Who knows? But those guys, the Yankees lineup is just ridiculous now. Like, do the, does that make him ALE's favorites? It does. I hate to say it, but the Red Sox can't seem to get out of their own way. Once they hit a certain point over 500, they backtrack. Their bullpen is terrible. The Yankees have a great bullpen. The Yankees' need is starting pitching. Now, maybe this is some sort of ploy because maybe they're going to get rid of somebody else. For all we know, they're going to get rid of Stan. Like, at this point, nothing would surprise me. Maybe they get rid of Stan and get a big arm. Like, because the names like Scherzer and I can't even think of other names because that's the only one that I'm like, if the Yankees somehow pull it off, ridiculous. But, like, big name pitchers are being rumored that they might get traded to the Yankees. And I just don't get it. I don't get it. I don't know who the Yankees are giving up. Because if they're not giving up anybody on the roster, who's coming out of the farm system? Clint Frazier? I guess. Because that that's your big chip that you have right now. Clint Frazier is the big chip. And I don't know if he's a big enough chip to get a good elite pitcher. Which is what the Yankees need. I mean, yeah, you had CeCe Zabathia get his 250th career win the other night. Which, good for him. Solidifies he's probably going to be a Hall of Famer one day. Because 250 wins for a pitcher nowadays is very good. But it's not like CeCe's the old CeCe. He's not like 2009 CeCe Zabathia coming in for the Yankees. No. He's injured old man CeCe Zabathia. Who can still throw some good innings for you and get a few wins. So. It's a weird move. I don't get it. I get Encarnacion has 21 home runs. I think he is like up a few more even now. But it on paper, I just don't get it. It's great to be like, hey, look, we have another guy that can hit it out of the park. Cool. You already had a bunch of those. How are you getting Voight at bats? How are you getting Encarnacion at bats? How are you getting Stan at bats? How are you getting all these different guys at bats? Because they're going to have to sit. There's not enough spots to go around for everybody. Like, are you really trusting Edwin Encarnacion at first base for you on a regu- somewhat regular basis? Because you shouldn't. He's about as good a fielder as David Ortiz was. Like, he's not used to being out there. He's uncomfortable at the plate. I'm not at the plate, in the field. If you want to talk about uncomfortable at the plate, we'll get into the right into the next topic. I teased it before the ad, and it's here. If you want to find uncomfortableness, look at a pitcher in a batting box. Like, just look at it. Does it look normal to you? No, it doesn't. Proof being Max Scherzer, who's actually not that bad of a hitter, taking 
practice soft toss bunts and it hitting off his bat and breaking his nose. Like the guy had two different color eyes. He added a third after that. He has a black eye, a blue eye, and I think like a brown eye or something like that. Like just nuts. He pitched the other night. He pitched phenomenal actually. Pitched really well. But it just is another example of a pitcher getting hurt doing something he's not used to doing. Pitchers don't hit. Pitchers aren't meant to hit. And it almost got to the point where this year that the Players Association almost got it so the National League might actually get a universal DH rule put in place. I mean, back in January, Jeff Passan talked about how there was a tender proposal to the union for several rule changes specifically a universal DH and there was support for it, but it ended up getting, you know, shot down. Surprise, surprise. Rob Manfred was like, eh, no, not this time, but hear me out. Cause I put this out on Twitter after the video popped up of Scherzer and a lot of people were like, Oh, you know, baseball is a great game. It's a strategic game and pitching and hitting is pitchers. Hitting is all part of it. But it's not. In one league, they don't do it at all. Like, it's they just don't do it. And my first argument would be, don't you want to see the best hitter possible in your lineup instead of a pitcher? Because over the years, pitchers just plain can't hit. The average for all pitchers is about 115 league-wide. And that is strictly basically National League. Like, you have Scherzer, who I said was good. Madison Bumgarner, you know, has shown that he can hit, and Zach Greinke has. But for those three good hitting pitchers, there are hundreds of pitchers who are terrible. I mean, through high school, through college, the minors, the DH rule is in place. Like, Rarely does the pitcher actually have to pick up a bat and swing. Unless you're a two-way player, which, good for you if you are. But for the most part, once you hit a certain level of competition, if you're a pitcher, you focus on pitching. If you're a hitter and a fielder, you focus on those two things. Like, pitchers shouldn't have to take their side session, then go into the batter batting cage, take a few swings, run the bases. Like, because this is not something that they're normally doing. We've seen it a bunch of times where pitchers get hurt because they're doing something they're not used to. Chen Ming Wan and Adam Wainwright are the two perfect examples of why there needs to be a DH. Chen Ming Wang was a pretty good pitcher for the Yankees for a while. He had to, when the Astros were still in the National League, run the bases. And he like destroyed his ankle and never was the same again. Because I say that name and you're like, who? Exactly. It sounds somewhat familiar, but after that ankle injury, he was just never the same guy. And then there's Adam Wainwright, who tore his Achilles and missed the majority of a season because he was doing something he wasn't used to doing and running the base paths. And it sounds ridiculous to think that these are professional athletes and they can't run bases or anything like that, but they're not used to doing it. They're not used, their body is not used to the start and stop of the running motion, they're not used to sliding, they're not used to, you know, doing all these different things. So, why make them do it? Think about it this way. 
Pedro Martinez was in Montreal, beginning of his career. Had to hit. Then went to Boston for a very long time. Didn't have to hit. Went back to New York Mets and played for the Phillies and had to hit. Do you think he was good at that aspect of it? No, because he hadn't touched a bat in years. Think about all these guys that are American League pitchers who never have to pee in the National League. Then one day they get traded there, they sign there, and they have to pick up a bat? No. Don't make them do that. Bad MLB. Don't. For all you people being like, oh, but the National League has always not had a DH. Pitchers have always hit. Who cares? Change a little bit. I'm not saying baseball is boring. I'm not saying that in any sort of way. I love the fact that baseball is a strategic game. You have to really think about what you're doing. The different matchups. And for those that are like, yeah, but if you add the DH to the National League, it takes away part of the strategy. It doesn't, though. You still have to consider pinch hitters. You still have to figure out what guy you're having pitch next inning. You still have all the same things. The only thing you're doing is making your team have a slightly better chance at getting a hit in a pivotal moment by having a normal hitter in the game instead of your pitcher. Because I tell you, if it is the seventh inning, I don't care if my guy has a perfect game going, if it is a nothing-nothing game, and it is a perfect game, and the bases are loaded with two outs, and say Clayton Kershaw is my pitcher that's pitching the perfect game, is coming up to the plate. I am pinch hitting for him. He's getting pulled from a perfect game opportunity because I need to make sure I get a run. And a guy on my bench is going to get me a better shot at that than if he goes up there and basically stares at three strikes down the pipe. Like, that's just how it is. And I don't want to see that. I want the chance for the pitcher to stay in the game. I also don't want the pitcher to get hit by a pitch and have his elbow get blown up. I don't want any. I don't want my pitcher to get taken out of the game because he had to stand in the batter's box in the inning before he plunked a guy, not on purpose, and this is retaliation. I don't want to see that. It makes no sense to me. Plus, when you are strategizing, it gets to a certain point where nationally, you're going to make your relief pitchers who definitely aren't used to picking up a bat have to hit because what if the game goes a few extra innings? You eventually run out of guys on your bench to pinch hit because you've already used them for your pitchers earlier in the game. Now, you have no choice but to send that relief pitcher up. It's ridiculous. It doesn't need to be a thing. It's not because baseball is boring. It will actually make baseball the same. Like, nothing will change. All you're doing is giving more opportunities to guys that are normally hitters who have to sit on the bench and only get in every few games to actually have a chance to be an everyday player. Because, in fact, the DH to the National League seems kind of like a small change with all these other random changes that people want to make. But we're not going to talk about them. Just in general, think about it. You want your best possible lineup going up against a good pitcher every single game. You can only do that if you have a DH. Like, I know the MLB is slow with change, and this is one of their biggest things with fans is how slow they are at trying to get the game up to today excitement. And you have the one side who's like, don't change it. It's a classic. It's America's pastime. Then you have the new side where it's like, yeah, but we don't care unless you make changes. 
I'm in the middle. I love the game how it is, but I understand there's a few changes that need to be made to speed up the game, make it more entertaining, because you got to do something. Viewership, attendance, all that is down. And you have great guys in this league. You have Mike Trout. You have Mookie Betts. You have Aaron Judge. You have Christian Yellick. You have all these great young talents. And people aren't getting to see them because you're not doing enough to let the kids play. Let the DHs DH. Both leagues. That's all I ask. That's all I want. That has been my DH Universal rant. Let me know what you think. If you like it, cool. Tweet at me at sportsdance underscore. Like, it's as simple as that. Do you like the DH Universal idea or do you not? Or are you stuck in the ancient 1900s? Because that's how I see it. So besides that, after that, you know, fun rant, you can look at some, you know, happy, fun, go lucky. I don't know. Not happy, fun, go lucky. But a new short, quick segment that I'm introducing right now called smart guy what it is you make a smart play you do something that you know deems you to be a smart guy this segment's gonna happen so here's the intro yeah that's the intro it's short simple you know it from if you watch the show smart guy as a kid because i did that's what made me think of it But the smart guy of the week goes to Matt Carpenter on the Cardinals. And why? It's because he did something that people have not understood why they don't do it for years in the MLB. Basically since the shifting started. You shift your whole infield to the right. You leave third base and between the third base and shortstop completely wide open. If you are talented enough to be in the major leagues, why don't you just bunt it into that open space? a guaranteed hit well matt carpenter finally did it he had the shift on he was a smart guy saw it bunted it got a double because of how open it was and how there was nobody over there it took the pitcher running to it to get the ball and by that time that occurred carpenter was standing safely at second base making him the smart guy of the week so Maybe other guys will learn from it. Maybe teams will learn not to shift as much. But in general, if you have that much side of the field open, do something about it. Make the other team forcibly have to shift back and deal with it. So Matt Carpenter, you're the smart guy of the week. All right, so the last thing to touch on in the major leagues is Tampa Bay. Now, I know you're wondering, like, what are you going to talk about Tampa Bay for? Like, they're not exciting. Who cares about Tampa Bay? Well, Tampa Bay doesn't even really care about Tampa Bay. So much so that they've just asked the MLB to consider a plan where they become a two-city MLB team. Now, I know what you're thinking. What does that even mean? How is that even possible? Do they split up the team and half plays one, half plays the other? No. So, they're proposing... That they get not just one, but two new stadiums. One in Tampa Bay and the other in Montreal. Now, why this makes sense? It doesn't. 
What they should do is just move to Montreal because the fan base there would actually care about your team. Instead, what they're proposing you do as a sports fan, as a fan of this team, if you, say you're one of the 10 true fans of the Tampa Bay Rays and then you go to every game, you and your nine other friends, because that's basically how many people go to every single Tampa Bay game. Like, it's just sad. They are saying, hey, you guys get the early half of the season. You get opening day. You get the first few months. Because in Montreal, it will be winter, and it will be snowing and freezing. And if that's the case, we need to put a dome on the stadium. And if you stay in Tampa Bay, we don't have to do that in your new stadium. You can have an open stadium in Tampa Bay and in Montreal. Now, the weirder thing is they haven't specified, like, it's not like you get 41 home games at each. No. You could end up getting, like, 60 home games in Tampa Bay, and then you finish the 2021 in Montreal. Why would you do that? How does that that help either city pay off a new stadium? It doesn't. Like, you're not going to spend money on your payroll for good players but you're gonna be like, hey, build us two stadiums. We'll play in two cities. That's logical. That makes sense. It doesn't. And that's why I did this right after the smart guy segment, because this is the dumb guy segment. Like, whoever thought this was a good idea should be fired. Play in one city. Nobody wants to play the Tampa Bay Rays of Montreal. Or the Montreal Rays of Tampa. Like, the name. It's already confusing enough with the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. Like, we already have enough of two town names. And they don't even play in two stadiums. They just... I don't even know why they did it. But, for you, Tampa Bay, to think you should be the team that tries this is just ridiculous. Like, don't do it. And Major League Baseball, don't do it. I get that they said this would be a long time, like, progress, and, like, it would take looking into and all these different things. I looked into it. I did some research. In five seconds, guess what? Nobody wants this. No one. Not me. Not you. No one wants this. It's not fair to the fans. It's not fair to the players. Because not only would you be forcing them to have to play half a season in another city, you essentially would have to be like, hey, you're one half of your home field. You have to buy a whole new house. Like, you have to have two houses minimum if you want to feel at home. Or else you're staying in a hotel. Or else you're renting a place. Like, it makes no sense to do. And Major League Baseball should not do this. If you do this reinstate Pete Rose and let him in the Hall of Fame. Like, if you do this, let all the steroid error users guys in the Hall of Fame. Because that's that's just how I see it. Like, if you're going to be this dumb about this, just forget every other president you sent for yourself of, like, we're not going to allow this, but we're going to allow a team to play in two different cities. It just doesn't make sense. Tampa Bay, no offense if you're from there and you're listening, Tampa Bay is not a baseball town. Montreal could be. They want it. 
at least you know the first few years you probably have good attendance. So give it a shot. Just have them move to Montreal. Give Canada two teams. They just won an NBA championship. Now you're giving them better odds in baseball to win a World Series. But don't. Whatever you do, don't even think about letting the Tampa Bay Rays play in two different cities. If they want to play partly in Montreal, make them play full-time in Montreal. That's just how it should be. That's all I got for Major League Baseball. We're going to take another quick ad. We're going to hear from Thrive Fantasy. So don't forget, check them out, especially after you listen to the ad. And then we're going to come back with some Women's World Cup and a little golf and maybe some start bench cut. All right, so stay tuned. Daily fantasy sports have taken the world by storm and Thrive Fantasy has a whole new twist. Make prop picks on only the top players in each game, no more sifting through the 12th man of a basketball roster, then sit back and enjoy the action. 12-Ounce Sports and Thrive Fantasy have now partnered to offer our listeners free house money to play with. Just use the promo code 12OUNCESPORTS during your next deposit to receive the bonus. That's Thrive Fantasy and the promo code 12OUNCESPORTS. Now go win. All right, now it's time to hit the links. A little golf humor there. I don't that was even humorous. That was yeah, no, that was just bad. That was bad on me, guys. My bad. So, golf. Anyway, US Open just happened. Gary Woodland was your winner. With a 13 under at Pebble Beach, which last time Tiger Woods won, it was 12 under and probably the best thing I heard in all the different Gary Woodland tweets was he knew Tiger had gotten 12 under. He made that birdie putt on 18 to win. And he just looked at his caddy and goes, that's 13. You know what that means. Beat Tiger. Which is just great. Like, one, it shows that Gary Woodland has a good sense of humor. And two, that Tiger is still in every golfer's head no matter what. Like, it doesn't matter that he had no shot this weekend. Because he just did not play well. But, despite that, Woodland still had Tiger on his brain because of the score he put up. Years ago. So it's just kind of funny to think about. But even more impressive with Gary Woodland's win was, one, he played phenomenal. Like, no doubt about that. He played the best out of everybody that last weekend. It showed. He won. But he did it with the fact that Brooks Kupka was right on his tail. Like, Brooks came running down the course without any sign of emotion or care. And was just dominating the course in the fi- over the weekend. And Woodland stared him down and was like, nope, it's not going to happen this time. You're not going to repeat for this either. Like, you got, you got your win. You're good. My turn. So that was just great. But now we have one more major left. And it's the British Open. Now, we're going to play a game called Start Bench Cut. And it's plain and simple. Start, that's who you're going with, two. It's who you think it could be, but it would take, you know, some good luck. And then three, you're just cutting. You know that guy has no chance. And we're going with three guys who are not named Gary Woodland, Brooks Kopka, Tiger Woods, to be the pick for the British Open to have a chance at winning. All right, so start bench cut between Rory McIlroy, John Ram, and Ricky Fowler. Who am I going with? Well, I'm glad you asked. So, I gotta start Rory McIlroy. I mean, one, it's the British Open. He knows those type of courses. He plays them well. 
He has been playing well this year. He won the PGA Championship. So you got to think he's got another good four rounds in him for another major. Rory, you know, the past few years has kind of been stuttering along. He hasn't really been playing up to his level. Now's his time to step up. He's been, you know, playing pretty decent. He's going to be playing in Europe. You know, I think he's more comfortable when he's kind of like on home turf. So that's why I'm starting him. I mean, he's a clear-cut favorite. It makes sense. So I think this is his time, you know, get another major under his belt, kind of get back to the old Rory McIlroy hype. You know, it'd be good. Who am I benching? Or no, yeah, who am I benching? Cat confused with my order. Ricky Fowler. Now, Ricky started off super hot on Thursday at Pebble Beach. Looked like he was going to have a great weekend, get that first major, and then it all just fell apart. Don't know exactly what happened. It could have been the haircut. Not going to lie, I definitely think it was the haircut. But, you know... Ricky has the talent to win a major. He somehow has not put it together for four days in a row. He has a day or two every major where he gets up there. He's up in the top 10. He has plenty of top 10s and top 15 finishes in majors. But he just could not put it together. And he can't finish it off. So if he can somehow figure that out, he has a shot. But again, he would have to overcome Rory. He would have to overcome Dustin Johnson and Brooks. Like, all those guys that I definitely think are going to be in the mix. So that's why I'm benching them. And I'm cutting Ram because the guy has a temper. He can't keep his emotions in check. He's been working on it. He's pretty talented. But I'm cutting him because I don't think he's winning a major at least in the next two or three years. I can see Ricky winning one in the next two or three years. I know Rory's probably going to win one in the next two or three years. Ram, though, I just don't see it happening. Part of it's his temper. I just, that's just how I feel. So that was start bench cut. Last thing we're going to talk about is the U.S. women's national team in the World Cup. The U.S. women's national team won their group stage easily. They took on Sweden today. It was basically a grudge match. If you don't know why, you can look back to the 2016 Olympics where Sweden took out the U.S. There's not, there's not any good blood. We'll just put it that way. A lot of bad blood between these two teams. They don't really like each other. And the U.S. just showed that it doesn't matter if we like you or not, we're still going to stomp you. They beat Sweden 2-0 to win their group. And these women are just, they're dominating so far. They have not shown any weakness. They haven't given up a goal yet. So that's just impressive. And even when they get hurt, they don't really get hurt. Julie Ertz and Alex Morgan both had injuries. One a hip contusion, the other one just kind of got knocked. Neither are serious, so that's good. Don't have to worry about that. Moving forward, they also have plenty of time to heal. The next game for the U.S. isn't until June 24th. They're going to face Spain, so good luck to Spain because they're going to need it. The U.S., I think, will easily advance to the round of eight. And from there, who knows? Who knows what will happen, but I can guarantee I'd be shocked, shocked if they don't make it to the final four. But obviously, we'll continue talking about them as the weeks go on. But just in general, just complete domination from start to finish. They scored in the first three minutes. And then they did what they do. They controlled the ball. They made sure the game was in their hands throughout the whole time. And they didn't break a sweat. Because that's just how good the U.S. women's team is. They're, they're phenomenal. 
that's the best way to put it. They're just phenomenal. Our team, by far, is the best. That's why it's USA all the way. That's why I don't that's why I saved it for last. I didn't I don't need to say much. They're just total domination by the women's team. And they're gonna keep doing it. And that's all there is to it. You can't stop it. We're a runaway train. But that wraps it up for this week's episode of The Sports Dance here on 12 Ounce Sports Radio. You can find it on SoundCloud, iTunes, all those different places. Just type in The Sports Dance. You'll see it pop up. Trust me, I'm the only one doing it. But besides that, have a good weekend. Enjoy yourselves. Just, you know, relax. Take care of yourself. Have a mental holiday over the weekend. If you're working over the weekend, just listen to me. I'll kill an hour like that. It's, I mean... If anything, you'll either fall asleep listening to me or you'll be interested. Either way, just make sure you go check me out on Twitter at the sports dance underscore. That's sports dance underscore. You can find me on Instagram at the sports dance and the same on Facebook. Check it out. Don't forget to subscribe, all that fun stuff that you always have to pitch at the end. But besides that, again, enjoy yourselves. Have a good weekend, everybody. I'm Greg, and thanks for tuning in. The sport stance.